All right. Hey, everybody. Dancing on the head of a pin. Pick up your feet. And we're here chilling out on a Monday night. Uh, it is Columbus Day. But who, who, who would know that? Who would know that, man? Uh, we're, there's going to lot be a lot going on tonight. Over the course of three separate broadcasts. What are you talking about, Frank? Three broadcasts. You're right. That is strange. But tonight on the Monday night broadcast, the 7 o'clock that we're starting right now, we are going to have a wonderful time going through a little bit of a grab bag, and then we're bringing on Alaric the Barbarian to do a little bit of uh, Christopher Columbus. Columbus Day, the Age of Exploration. And that's going to bring us right to about 8 o'clock, a little bit beyond that. We'll take an intermission. We'll come back. We'll do some of your super chats, a couple of your calls. And then I'm going to be off by 8.30 because I'm going to start up session to a book club with Jay Dyer for Mario Puzo's The Godfather, which has been a real thrill. Real thrill. Three more weeks of this, and I, I, can't, read, I can't wait to read the other two. I have the other two books. I, got, I bought the la- Actually, I found The Last Don and Omerta in, um, in a free book giveaway at, at the UPS store not too long ago. I said, oh, shit, now I got all three. So I'm going to read it out. That's just going to be continued education on my part. But um, tonight we're doing session two. That'll bring us to about 9.30. And then there's going to be a bonus stream afterwards at some point. I'm not going to tell you when because I'm not going to hold myself to, uh, to any hard time. But I will be going live afterwards, and you'll know why in just a little bit. Um, that'll be from Studio B. So let's just talk about what we're going to be doing tonight a little bit more. Thank our sponsors, BlueMonsterPrep.com. Ladies and gentlemen, drinking water, filtration, emergency food, gas masks, heirloom seeds, two-way radios, solar power generators. You need it. There's stuff for your dogs there. All right? BlueMonsterPrep.com. Go there. Use promo code FRANKLY. If you don't know what you're doing, where you want to start, if you feel the tension and the heat of the world, Making that doorknob a little bit warm to the touch. Suddenly you feel the heat. And there's plenty to talk about. Plenty to heat. Um, Go and check out what Pat and Gina have in store. There's a lot of great uh, guides there. And, of course, they will get on the phone with you and guide you through whatever you need as well. Um, there's There's also trustworthy gold and silver providers. That is, quite frankly, .gold. Our friends at Wise Wolf Gold and Silver. Botanical chocolates. Magazines. Remote Qigong classes with Rob. Uh, so much more. Please go to the affiliates page on quitefrankly.tv and be a patron of theirs because then they will remain friends with us. Okay. Tomorrow night in studio we have Michael Collins, Wandering Wolf. He is in New England filming some foliage and all that. He just came back from Easter Island. He's a world traveler, as you know. And he'll be in studio. We get to shake hands and, uh, and do a stream, albeit a short stream. We'll be going live from about 7 to 8, just chit-chatting about the world and what he's up to and all that stuff. I heard that he's going to become a father, so that'll be a celebratory event. And then I'm going to go off uh, into band practice, and that's the end of the official broadcast week of Quite Frankly. But there's going to be so much amazing stuff on the network all the other nights of the week. I was talking with Cody and Abe about that. We're going to put on some throwback, frankly, 
episodes. We're going to put some recent best ofs on Friday the 13th. You're going to have a Friday the 13th marathon, no doubt about it. But it's going to be the first real Halloween-y week on the network. And even though I will be, I don't know, smuggled away somewhere in the woods, I will be checking in and probably even watching some of the stuff that is on the network that night because I love it. And I think that we're doing great things and more great stuff uh, coming ahead. So that's all I have to say on the announcement end of things. All right. Um, what else? Anything else? No, that's it. That's it. Okay, so Alaric the Barbarian, he is going to be our guest tonight. But before he comes on after the intro, I want to go into the into the, uh, the the wonderful grab bag and see just what the hell is going on. Well... Wouldn't you know it, Joe Biden's younger brother, Frank, don't do it, Frank, admits that a selfie, a naked selfie (laughs) on guys with iPhones gay dating site is genuine. It is his, but his phone must have been hacked. The photo was uploaded to a gay porn website, Guys with iPhones, in 2018 when Frank was 64. When I'm 64. When approached by Daily Mail, Frank conceded he was the man in the photo, but denied posting it online, saying his his phone must have been hacked. Yes, must have been hacked. So, that's... It's taking all my excuses away. I don't know. That's, um, that's, and it's just, you know, is it really anything that you could be surprised about? There, there they are. Partners in crime. Partners in crime. Oh, that, that Biden smile. It's heartwarming, isn't it? Yeah, Biden smile. It's kind of a wink. Yeah. The whole family. Real winners. I don't know what to say. You know, I'm, um... There's a lot of darkness creeping in. It's been it's been doing that a little bit more and more lately, and now as I think it's reaching a, a fever pitch, it's really coming undone fast right now. And tonight's show, whether it be, uh, I think it's going to be somewhere maybe around 11 o'clock Eastern time. That'll give me a little bit of time to get home, to set up, get settled in, and, and uh, launch some streams. We're going to be getting into the conditions that are building up now in the Middle East, which we had a zero to 100 acceleration on a Saturday morning between Israel, Palestine, and what does it all mean? So I'm just going to go through some of that stuff later on. I'm going to go through that, things that I had built up that I just knew it would not be good to jam it into the beginning of this show. Because after I go through, it, it, it really brings up a lot of even Albert Pike, World War III, letters to Mazzini kind of thoughts. And we had an Albert Pike draft ready to go in our blog section that we quickly scheduled for release. And it was, it was, uh, it was actually going to be released this week. And they say, you know what, let's just put it up. We put it up on Sunday. And now it's out today, and I'm, so I'm just going to work off of that tonight. There's a lot going on, and I also want to open up the lines for some calls because theories abound. What is being what is being built up in front of our eyes right now? 
It's a meticulous planetary conflict. And if you were watching Saturday night, the stream, the maiden voyage that I did with uh, Timothy Gordon from Studio B, Saturday night around nine o'clock or so, um, I, I think that a lot of things that we were discussing really are, they're going to remain on point throughout the, the, the duration of whatever the hell this is and how bad it's going to get and what it can mean for the world. Remember, this is a world that has been demanded. That transformation has been demanded of this world. And if you know anything about the people who live on this planet, transformation of everything that they ever knew, ever loved, and ever were comfortable doing does not come easily. So arms have to be twisted. And we're getting twisted. I didn't actually, I actually didn't know that we had this many arms. But we're getting twisted bad, and that'll be a part of it all tonight. Uh, for now, I'll give you a little bit of Baba Vanga. Baba Vanga's prediction of a great Muslim war resurfaces as Hamas conflict intensifies. You're only going to see this covered in one direction. Like most things, there's going to be unanimous unanimous agreement on, uh, on, on certain things. And then the, the farther down you go into the layers, you'll find... It'll go to the other side. There's very any, very rarely anything that's balanced, and it doesn't matter at this point. doesn't matter. So I'm always open for the Baba Vanga predictions, but, you know, we are not out of the woods as far as what Ukraine is. And, you know, that's the big thing about Ukraine. From the beginning, wanted to know what that was going to be transformed into. When you have a conflict that was never, ever going to be won... We have a conflict that was always bad prospects from the beginning for the NATO US quote unquote Ukrainian side. And throughout the entirety of that war when it was still getting sufficient media coverage because it really died out. We're just talking about this too. That it was it really just hit the wall with coverage of that war. And boom, here we go, a transition. Now it hasn't ended out there. Defeat has not been admitted, nothing like that. And that was the most concerning thing about the war for me, is that they were never actually looking at the prospects of defeat in a responsible way, which means that if they were never going to do to admit defeat, then the war needed to be transformed in some way so that defeat never had to be admitted. So it's going to be a little bit of a late night stream on a Monday night. I have the flexibility to do it now, and I don't have any other time and any other places to put this segment throughout the week because tomorrow night is the last show of the week. So that's why I wanted to do this, and um, that's what we're going to do. Uh, and then I have this. I read this on NBC News. A man jumps into the reflecting pool at 9-11 Memorial in New York City. The 33-year-old was arrested and taken to Bellevue Hospital with a leg injury. Man was arrested in New York City on Monday for allegedly jumping into the reflecting pool at the 9-11 Memorial. The uh, incident unfolded about 1.30 p.m. when police were called to the North Pool at the 9-11 Memorial and found the 33-year-old had jumped in. An emergency medical services team also responded and helped the unidentified man who injured his left leg and back in the incident and they put him into an ambulance. He was taken to Bellevue Hospital for non-life-threatening injuries and charges are pending. The man was described as apparently emotionally disturbed person. 
Later, security guards were spotted erecting chains around the pool to discourage anyone else from jumping in. The pool is one of two at the memorial. Uh, both are in the footprints of the Twin Towers that fell during the terrorist attack on September 11, 2001. According to the 9-11 Memorial Museum, I'll say each pool descends 30 feet and then drops another 20 feet into the central void. So I was there. There is a W Hotel right next door, or at least there used to be. I don't know if it's still the W. But it was one December, maybe in 2014, 15, somewhere around there. It was like the year 16. I don't know. It was like the year before Lauren and I got married. And there's a W Hotel very, very, I think right next door to that memorial. And we had a room that night. It was right around, I think it was December 22nd or 23rd. And we found it a really nice room on Groupon. We used to do that every once in a while. We went on Groupon to see what kind of really nice hotels were listing rooms there. And we would just spend the night in the city. Room service, look out the windows, whatever. And, um, and I remember we went to sleep and I woke up. And I went to, you know, I just, I got drawn to the, uh, to the window. I said, I'm, I'm in the city. I might as well, if I'm not going to sleep, I'm tossing and turning. I might as well just get up and look out the window and just be there. So I did that. And I'm telling you, it was very weird around 1, 1.30 in the morning. I'm looking out the window and I'm looking at the footprint of the Twin Towers and I'm just remembering what, what happened there. That this is a, you're in a graveyard. That we're talking thousands of people died right outside your window. And that became a, that became a very, very overwhelming, very overwhelming feeling. It is, uh, it's something else down there. It really is. And, um, no, and you want to know the other thing is this reminded me of a, a ridiculously stupid thing that somebody in my high school class said. It was probably our senior year, so it's about 2002. All right, about senior year 2002. This kid drew. This kid drew. We were all in class, and everybody was talking about it. You know, every once in a while it would come up because it's still very fresh, and we were all young, and some of our classmates were already committed to going into the army or the marines, and shit was going on like that. And um, and they're talking about wh whether or not there was going to be a, a new building built in that in in the in in that part of Manhattan again to replace what had come down. Well, our friend Drew, who was not kidding, they're talking about future future catastrophes. Well, you can't put something back up there. They're just going to fly something else into it, and uh, you know they're going to get us. Well. Drew said, well, you know, maybe one thing that they can do is that they can put a, they can put, you know, like a pool of water at the base of the building. So if people had to jump this time, they would have some water to go into. There was a, there was silence, dead silence, because I think most people realize this idiot is for real. <laughs> this, this is, this is for real. Can you imagine that? To, to jump to the pool, you know, just incredible. I'll remember that for the rest of my life. We still, me and some of my friends still talk about that. It'll come up. Somebody will make a crack about jumping into the pool to save you. Oh, you know the other thing too. I realized something about about YouTube. 
it might be self-evident to you guys, you probably already knew that, but you need to really clear your search, your search uh, history on YouTube. If you want to see all the people that you subscribe to, or thought you did, or forgot you even subscribed to, if you want to see them again, you've got to clear your search history. Every once in a while, clear it out on YouTube, clear it all out. And all of a sudden, your suggested page will be flooded with things that you you remember being subscribed to, but you haven't seen them in so long. I am still watching 9-11 uh, building collapse videos. Okay, it's a month now. It's a month now, and I can't stop. I don't know what the hell is wrong with me. Other years, a couple of days, it's over. But the, the level of fascination, because I, I can't believe how much footage there actually is. I'm seeing things that I've never seen before. Um, and then I also realized that, you know, then I got I to gotta get rid of it all. So I, uh, I cleared it out last night, and all of a sudden I started seeing everything that I forgot I was even subscribed to. So you all should do that too from time to time. Clear out all your search history, because what you do is, as you click along, that's what the algorithm starts giving you, more of that feedback loop, and then you just get lost in a in a, uh, a cycle of, of content that might have just popped up for you at a time. It could have been seasonal, it could have been a holiday, an anniversary of some sort, and then all of a sudden, you're stuck there forever. Um, do yourself a favor every once in a while clear that out all right well enough of the reflecting pools and all that other stuff let's go to something that is should be a point of pride for all of us but is slowly being wrestled away and that is the age of exploration namely christopher columbus on this columbus day 2023 alaric the barbarian is the return guest he'll be with us shortly for now, let's kick this all off. Ladies and gentlemen, please help share this show around. Get it to all your friends and family. I love to introduce myself to them tonight and then never let them go. All right. Be right back. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride!
Okay. October 9th. So here we are on October 9th. As I said before, we have our guest, Alaric the Barbarian. He's a return guest. And he is the... He is the founder, the founder of the Dissident Review. We have done plenty on... I think we've we've covered quite a bit that was on the, the Dissident Review. Well, that is Alaric's site. And the last time he was on, he came on to talk about the myth of the Dark Ages, you know, versus the so-called Enlightenment. And we even dipped in a little bit into the Crusades as well. Though I think that's something that we have to do a little bit more in the future. I think, Alaric, you there? Yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. You sound much better than the first time. You must have a new microphone. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad this is all working out. It sounds great. But listen, let me ask you something. Last time we were on, just from memory, what did we say that we were going to talk about at, at a future show? Did we jump into the Crusades sufficiently enough, or were we going to talk about the Spanish Inquisition? What was it that we said that we were going to do, aside from the Age of Exploration tonight? I think it was the Crusades off the top of my head. Okay. Because I know we did a little bit of that, but not too much. Yeah, the good thing is that the Crusades tie into this, so. Well, well, you know what? We gotta, we have to talk about that a little bit then. We have to talk about that because uh, wh whatever time we have tonight, I would love to just ring it all out with you. And so let's just talk about this one thing in modern day with Columbus Day, namely most people probably don't even know it's Columbus Day right now because it is avoided at all costs. Um, and this is a change. This is a change that we have seen happen in our lifetime. Uh, there's always there's always going to be dissent. There's always going to be people who look at uh, who look at history in different ways. And it was in our lifetime that we saw Columbus Day go from something that was a little bit more, I don't know, a point of pride and has devolved into something that is shameful where people get uh, brownie points for smashing Columbus statues that this morning when I woke up, my iPhone told me it's Columbus Day. It's also Indigenous Peoples Day, and I'm sure in five years from now, <laughs> it'll only be Indigenous Peoples Day. So let's start in present day. Uh, talk a little bit about that, that subversion of the of the, not just only the nation's founding, but the discovery of the continent as well. Well, the, the subversion of Columbus in particular really starts to become popular with Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States, mm. which uh, came out in 1980. And though it covers the entirety of American history, it starts out with this utterly polemical chapter about Christopher Columbus and his brutalization of the, the gentle Taino natives in the Caribbean. And it cites these uh, these verses and lines from his diaries that look utterly damning. Um, it makes him look like a uh, absolutely bloodthirsty Hitler-esque tyrant. You know, it's a, just this guy that wanted to come and rape and enslave and murder for no good reason. And that was the, the sort of the first shot in the war over Christopher Columbus. Um, which I think the the best piece of media on it is probably the Sopranos episode. Oh yes, oh yes, <laughs> yeah. But the uh, People's History of the United States just starts off with this brutal chapter, and it became 
rather famous uh, among academic circles and in public education. And since then, it's been adopted as sort of the orthodoxy about Columbus, that Columbus came to the new world accidentally, couldn't manage anything and just decided to start cutting people's hands off for no reason. Uh, none of which is true, by the way. Um, basically, 99% of the of the facts, I'm, I'm making finger quotes, even if you can't see me, cited by Zen are just not true. But it stuck. It was a very powerfully written and sort of, um, it was a polemical piece of writing. And that kind of thing sticks with people when you're told that somebody you've traditionally looked up to is actually this awful genocidal maniac. That thing, that, that idea sits with you and it sat with the American people. And a lot of people just accept it as fact now. And even if they're allegedly pro Columbus Day, they'll qualify it with, well, I mean, I get he did some bad things. No, he didn't. He didn't really do anything wrong. Um, well, that's something let's... very typical of the era. And honestly, in my opinion, very great. He opened up a new era in world history. I, well, I would love to talk a little bit about that because, you know, this is not something new, uh, especially when you think about the stories like uh, uh, Sally Hemings and, and, and Thomas Jefferson. That was all a that was uh, he was wrongly smeared about the whole uh, Sally Hemings thing. That was not real. But of course, that was a media attack that was not only launched in the time in, in Jefferson's time by a political opponent of his, but was. Uh, then brought back to life in the 1990s when Bill Clinton wanted a little bit of heat taken off of his uh, his sexual uh, encounters and endeavors in the White House at the time. So we see this happening with everybody at different degrees for different reasons. Sometimes a, uh, a modern figure will try to create uh, a little bit of cover fire by bringing up a beloved character who had similar issues or... If you want to be able to discredit the reason and the and the legitimacy of an entire civilization for existing to be able to level it and rebuild it in your image, then you'll do something like this to Christopher Columbus. So would you be able to uh, talk about an example or two of excerpts that are usually used to show Columbus to be some kind of a bloodthirsty monster and the con the proper context that they should have been in? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before that, though, that's interesting that you bring up Jefferson with that being contemporary propaganda. A lot of the things that Zinn cites and that anti-Columbus scholars cite are contemporary propaganda. Hmm. They're Spanish black legend elements from Dutch and English Protestants who had a geopolitical and religious rivalry with Spain. They did not want to see Spain prosper. They wanted to launch attacks against Spanish uh, morality and sovereignty. So they cooked up a lot of fantastical insane stories about the brutality and you know evilness of the spanish in the new world and nobody could say nobody on continental europe could uh, deny it because they weren't in the new world so it was a uh, it was a propaganda campaign and one of those uh elements that's cited is from this spanish monk uh, las casas who writes let me i have a passage somewhere in here he wrote quite a bit about Columbus after only meeting him maybe once, and even that's debatable. And he says that Columbus is a great guy and then goes on to talk about the abuses of the, the Spanish that were there in order to justify more church money going to him. So you get all this weird contemporary propaganda environment that uh, gets misappropriated by modern scholars who mostly just hate the idea of America and hate white people. Um, but as for specific passages, the, the most famous one is um, 
the one that he actually starts out with, and he's talking about the first contact between Columbus and the natives. And the passage is, they brought us parrots and balls of cotton and spears and many other things, which they exchanged for the glass beads and hawk's bells. They willingly traded everything they owned, dot, dot, dot. They were well built with good bodies and handsome features, dot, dot, dot. They do not bear arms and they do not know them, for I showed them a sword and they took it by the edge and cut themselves out of ignorance. They have no iron, their spears are made of cane, dot 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 critically they would make fine servants dot 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 again with 50 men we could subjugate them all and make them do whatever we want now those are all from different days of his journal all of those ellipses cut from different lines different paragraphs different days of his own diary uh when he's talking about they would make fine servants for example many of them had scars the actual in context passage he's talking about how a lot of them had battle scars and things like that and uh, the, his conclusion was that all of these neighboring tribes would raid them for slaves all the time. Mm. And because of how gentle they are, it makes sense that they're the the prized slaving people <laughs> or enslaved people. So he's just talking, he's making a value judgment of their disposition. And then with 50 men, we could subjugate them. That's just mostly a mistranslation. Um, he's talking about how, how little force it would take to, to hold this island as an economic trading port. So you get things like that where it's really dishonest scholarship. And then on top of that, it's plagiarized from this other guy, Hans Koning. The... Alaric, you there? Yeah. yeah, yeah, sorry. Cut off for a second. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's it, just it, utterly so it was, ridiculous it, you said, scholarship. Uh, and if, you're, if anybody's interested in more on that, I won't go into all of the little things, but there's probably 100 pages on this in uh, Mary Graber's book, Debunking Howard Zinn. Oh, I would love to read more. I, I would love to actually have more. Maybe at the time, at the end, if we we get all through all the other critical points, uh, we can go through more of those. I love, I love being able to have the the flip, uh, the script flipped on all this, this uh, Bolshevik nonsense. So l let's uh, let's put a let's put a hold on that, and hopefully we have a couple of minutes because I would like to get a couple more examples if you didn't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can. I have this in print is the problem I'm looking at, um, like an actual packet of paper. <laughs> well, it's no. It, 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 we'll see what kind of time we have because I want to get on to something else here. I mean, right from there, you talk about him, the, the excerpt. I mean, we are told Columbus was, even for those of us who were getting, um, we were getting neutral to positive education on Christopher Columbus. We were starting to reflect on his journey. We started to reflect on all the the sales pitches that he had in Portugal and then to Spain and then how uh, Queen Isabella had some sort of a crush on him and gave him a chance. So whatever, I mean, we got the, the thumbnail sketches, but it was all very neutral to positive and how daring of an expedition this was no matter what. Uh, still, I, uh, and I, I, I can speak for myself. I'm, I'm sure that some people in the audience would be the same. We were told the story that he was out there looking for a, a trade route to China. He wanted some of that Marco Polo pasta. And in the process, he mistakenly landed in the Western Hemisphere, assumed it was India. And the entire thing was just kind of one big stumbling, bumbling mistake falling into a historic moment. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Was that the actual case? Did he not know where he was going? Yeah, this, this is what I find much more interesting about Columbus, this whole angle of things. Personally, I believe that he knew exactly where he was going. He didn't know exactly what was there, but he knew that there was a landmass that he could reach via a very specific route 
and uh, he reached it. And then he wanted to protect his competitive advantage. So he did things like he told his third crew that if they said anything other that they la- than that they landed in India, he cut their tongues out. Oh. Um, that's always cited as him being arrogant and uh, like stuck in his way of thinking. But that seems to make much more sense as a um, and this is an insurance policy because uh, he was still trying to monetize. But I, I will. I'll start from the beginning on this one. Uh, Columbus was a Portuguese caption. He was uh, he was ethnically Italian, but he was sailing for the Portuguese. And the Portuguese were the best sailors in the world at the time. Uh, 15th century, they were just dominating. Henry the Navigator invested so much in sailing technology and training that they became a naval superpower instantly. And Columbus sailed for them on a lot of trading voyages. He had all of the inside knowledge. It was very secretive at the time. It's a lot like a startup culture or tech or something like that. And he came to the conclusion, in my view, from a lot of reading, he was also a map maker and a bookseller, that there was something across the Atlantic and it was reachable. It wasn't the east coast of Asia, but there was something there. Part of that came from other Portuguese sailors just objectively seeing land and recording it either quietly or having maps made that were secretive and things like that. Uh, When you sail from Spain or Portugal and you sail south to go along the coast of Africa, you have to swing out west to go with the trade winds. You don't just hug the coast. You can't do that with a a sailboat. So you swing out west. You can very easily overshoot that with unfavorable winds. And you would almost 100% see the eastern tip of Brazil or maybe the Caribbean if you're further north. You would see these land masses. And there's some maps that show like vaguely charted stuff in the distance over there that they knew wasn't China. They they named it uh, other things, but they they knew that there was something there, bottom line. Besides that, uh, Columbus had sailed on trading missions to Ireland and Iceland, both of which have long-standing old traditions of the idea that people had crossed over to the Americas. Yes. A, the monk St. Brendan in Ireland, and then in Iceland, obviously, the, the remnants of the Viking expedition were still alive in culture as sort of legend. Mm-hmm. So you take all of that together and his eureka moment as far as we have is he has this french book about uh, cartography and it talks about all of the known land masses of the world and the oceans and the size of the earth and he has in the margins uh written there is no possible way that half of the earth is covered in water that is an interesting thing to write now that is normally taken to mean that the earth is actually half its size and i can get around to china because that was his proposal by the way that uh, the earth was a third to a half uh, smaller than we thought it was and that I could thus easily sail to China. So at that, at that point, yeah. was he contesting was he contesting the the uh, the the size of the earth that was established by Aristophanes? Yes, that's why it's so ridiculous. And that's okay. why the Portuguese court laughed him out. And, and this and this uh, map that he was working off of that had some sort of a um a hint that there was a Brazilian coastline out there, that it was not, it wasn't China, that there was a Western hemisphere that was unlike anything that most people had known. When was that map put together and by whom? Well, that was a uh, Portuguese map in 1424. I don't know if he had access to that map, but he would have certainly heard the rumors that led to the creation of that map. Hmm. This is a very like insular kind of in-group environment where everything's very secretive unless you're in the know. And if you're a captain, you're in the know. Interesting. Very interesting. And I, I was going to ask you about that, too. The, you know, uh, where, where are the expeditions of people like Leif Erikson 
uh, w- were they known to the to Western Europeans? And because uh, we grew up taught that Leif Erikson landed somewhere near Nova Scotia, uh, something like 400 years before, uh, like around the year 1000. So what did they think that was that he or was that information that wasn't really as readily available to Western European, uh, you know, uh, explorers? As we have it now. Yeah, I don't believe he would have had any direct knowledge of that because knowledge of it was mostly lost. Mm-hmm. Um, it was some references were preserved in some sagas, if I remember correctly, some Viking sagas. I don't, as far as I know, we have his personal library and uh, he didn't have access to those, but he would have been in the, you know, the sailing taverns and whatnot Newfoundland. Uh, up north. He might have heard something about that. Uh, that's speculation. The, uh, the Portuguese knowledge of a landmass across the Atlantic, that's real. Interesting. And, and I was just corrected. It was Newfoundland, not uh, not uh, Nova Scotia. I knew, got, knew they got close. Anyway, all right. So, so it's up there somewhere. <laughs> so, so continue on with that. I'm sorry for interrupting. Oh, you're good. Um, so he brought this proposal to the Portuguese court that the Earth was smaller than proposed, and uh, that you could sail thirty odd days west and reach the east coast of Asia or Japan or China or India or something like that. Um, which they laughed him out because they knew that it was ridiculous. They knew the size of the earth. They had known the size of the earth for over a thousand years. Uh, it, it's This was not some kind of like contested idea. And obviously the earth being flat and people believing in the earth as flat, that's not true. Um, I, I haven't seen somebody espouse that in a while, but... <laughs> Um, well, they, don't, they don't look, well in, don't look in the chat room then, Alaric. You don't don't look in this chat room then. You'll probably find a few. <laughs> yeah, that's life. But um, yeah, so Columbus just knew that it, nobody thought that that it was flat, and that's why he couldn't go west. Um, they just thought that he would die. Um, and he was asking for three ships, which is quite a bit of investment and a lot of men, uh, a lot of supplies. That this is a big investment. So the Portuguese court said, "No, we have a profitable trading empire. We're not going to entertain this ridiculousness." Hmm. He went to Spain, and he ended up in Spain uh, essentially pestering the Spanish court for three years about this, two, three years, something like that. Um, and they, their scholars all said the same thing, that he's crazy and uh, stupid. But the idea was not that he was genuinely proposing this. It was at its face so absurd that he had to be hiding something. Uh, th- th- this is just... This is like saying you need to invest in my business because space isn't real or something like that. Like something that goes so against modern thinking that it's ludicrous, mm. right? Uh, the Spanish were falling behind the Portuguese at the time. Uh, so they were really looking for desperate new ideas about how to economically outcompete. And this is the, the court of Castile at the point. So it's not Spain, Spain, but it's close enough. I'm, I'm, I just refer to it as Spain. But um the spanish wanted to outcompete the portuguese and eventually when he threatened to take it to france they finally capitulated and gave him three ships uh he sailed west he used the trade winds that he knew well about from being a portuguese captain and it was actually a pretty smooth voyage they didn't have any issues on the way out really um yeah and then he landed in the new world and said you know we have to monetize this somehow uh we probably shouldn't let other people know that there's a whole nother continent here popularly or there'll be a lot of people competing with us and that that's where the he thought he landed in india myth comes from i believe at least uh, and I, I believe this is supported to a good extent by primary sources it makes a lot of sense just like you said it, it makes the most sense to you the way that you put it out there it makes the most sense to me too um i mean th- this is a a huge huge find 
And whereas you wouldn't want maybe at least until you get all the deeds and everything worked out uh, right, um, if you found yourself a, 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 a some kind of a source of oil, you wouldn't want to let everybody know until you secured that land and you secured that investment for yourself and, and, and that was it. So it makes sense that this would be something that, hey, uh, yeah, we're just in we just uh, made a mistake or tell everybody it's uh it's india and and that's it now when it comes to when it comes to the what comes next that is of course as we said before the bolsheviks uh slander him for slavery what exactly where does slavery come into this was there i mean we're talking about the 15th century here so i mean right now there is over 50 million slaves living in the world right now mostly in asia and africa and it, so this is just something that has always been the case but was there any element of slavery or human uh human capital that was actually a part of his expedition there or and if if so what else was the, the the main goal of the expedition well the main goal as with most other spanish funded explorers was find gold uh that that's what they wanted they wanted liquid cash basically um <clears throat> slavery came into play when he realized that he practically could not trade with the taino or any of the other native groups because they were far too primitive and uh the, the goal actually from all of his writings was very heavily focused on conversion and education and things only got um bad or exceptionally like out of the norm for for the time when he left when he would leave one base and go to another the the spaniards that were under him which by the way resented him for being italian they did not like serving under a foreigner um they tended to get pretty violent now, this is also in response to raids against them by other native groups looking to take slaves and women and things like that. Um, it, it's not this simple cut and dry environment where there were these idyllic natives living perfectly in harmony with the earth and then Columbus showed up and enslaved all of them. That, that is just flat out not what happened. Uh, he entered into a warring primitive Stone Age environment and in an effort to sort of set it in order ended up because by the way these slaves were not worth much this was not like the later transatlantic slave trade where it was a booming market for slaves slaves were not worth that much money at this point um sort of an incidental in all honesty hmm. uh, and it very typical for the time really nothing out of place um and I, I i find moralizing about it very very tedious because everybody was i mean the natives were enslaving each other at the time yeah, I was gonna. I was wondering how you would approach this default position, and that's all it, it really is. It's a default position. Uh, um, if you do actually have any interchanges with people on Twitter that are actually people and not robots or some kind of, you know, handicapped child, um, there is. I mean, this is all there is. Oh, he was a rapist and he was a slaver, rapist and a slaver, and it goes hand in hand with the very. Um, very often cited noble savage theory it's essentially like avatar what they're saying is like the movie avatar that christopher columbus he represents a high-tech gang of brutes who arrived from across the sea to rape and pillage a peaceful kumbaya circle and everywhere that you found in the western hemisphere was peaceful kumbaya circles and i uh i have to imagine that that is a a, a, a tedious position for someone like you who really spends their time researching and publishing thoughts and and uh and papers on stuff like this to actually um be dealing with such simplistic and negativist 
views on history that really serve nobody any good. Yeah, certainly. The uh, by the way, with the the rapist thing, um, they they do cite Columbus as a rapist, but it's very funny because the the natives upon his landing gave him uh, two girls as like a present, and they were both uh, probably around ten to fourteen, and he was horrified by that and had them clothed, fed, and returned. So this is not nearly as simple as people make it out to be um you end up with this sort of occupation guerrilla war between a small number of spanish uh you know sailor fighters and then quite a large number of natives who have really no organization and then you have these you do have conflicts between them you do have barbarity between them this is completely normal in the human course of events uh it's ludicrous to just say oh well these guys did it better so they're bad um the other thing is any of the conquistadors in particular, because the Spanish are the worst slandered of the exploring peoples of the 15th through 17th centuries. The Spanish are always the worst slandered. Most of the time when they showed up, all it was was a regime change for the average person. Um, for the average native in, for example, Mexico, they were already enslaved or working as a serf, and then they were now just working as a serf for the Spanish. The same thing applies with Columbus. Essentially, this is a group of people that are constantly going around fighting each other and enslaving each other. Columbus comes in, tries to build essentially a European civilization. So the the first step of that is to get things in order, stop the, uh, you know, tribal Stone Age conflicts and convert people to Christianity. Uh, you know, I, I was also reading there, too, that I, I don't know if it's Taino um, or, or another tribe around there that they were cannibals. And, yeah, the Carib. Oh, yeah, well, the Carib. And, and and that this was one of those things where um, there are certain things that, that any of these crews that were going out, that were manning on the, they're manning these ships and going out making this journey, uh, would start learning about the, the natives there, especially the cannibalistic tribes. Uh, one time I read about a, uh, a situation where a, a minister or a priest, a monk, was actually taken, killed, and eaten. And because, and because some of the, uh, the the members of the tribe got very very deathly ill after eating this monk, they never touched a man of faith anymore. So what what a lot of the the, the crew members used to do is dress like monks, and uh, and priests to to at least give them a, a chance of not being touched by uh, the these cannibals out there just because of what's uh, one bad luck, I guess. I don't know. He, the, the meat wasn't that good or something. But this was the kind of conditions that were, were found all over the place, aside from those who are maybe a little bit more reasonable and could be dealt with once you establish a line of communication. But let me ask you this. Um, how much of the age of exploration do you believe was driven by the desire to just merely find new frontiers like a very romantic desire and how much was driven by commerce well it was all underpinned by commerce and it wouldn't have happened without commerce so it, to that extent it's a hundred percent but all of the men doing it uh you read the writings and all of them were there for you know glory for themselves glory for the crown glory for god that, that that's always what comes up they're never you know, they're, they're never just pure greed. Even the guys that were uh, that are easiest to slander, uh, like Alvarado or some of the other men under Cortez, those guys were there for a almost like monomaniacal desire to conquer and fight. 
so you have group you have guys there that are there purely for the fight you have guys there that are there purely to convert the natives and proselytize to them you have guys there that are they just want to get rich you have other guys there that want personal glory for themselves uh, especially a lot of the sons of spanish hidalgo families that had sort of fallen from prominence since the end of the reconquista hmm. so I, I think it's it's a complex thing but a lot of the people there were there for the very romantic reasons that we tend to pretend are fake I guess it's uh, just the best of both worlds. You're getting paid to do something you love and something that you know is monumental uh, in size. Uh, so it, going from, and of course, please uh, always feel free to draw this back to Columbus, but I also want to expand it out uh, in general to the, the age of exploration that you're talking about there, that those couple of hundred years that all this was really getting done. And you're, in your opinion, who's the most some of the most consequential and maybe underappreciated explorers and conquistadors of that era. Um, I'd have to say while Columbus is a hot button issue, he essentially opened the gates. You know, he was a genius navigator and a, a visionary thinker, but the, the people that came later, for example, uh, Hernan Cortez and Francisco Pizarro are literally men out of some kind of ancient Greek epic. Hmm. You know, they're just, it's almost incomprehensible, the stuff that these guys got up to. And I find slander of them tends to be um, easier in some ways by leftist types because they were, in fact, military commanders. But at the same time, it's harder because everything they did was naturally really cool. And it's very difficult to make it not look cool. Um, Give us some examples so of that. I would, you know, I would love to hear yeah. a little bit more about that. Go ahead. Well, Cortez landed in uh, in Mexico after he was actually declared a criminal and an outlaw by the um, the governor of Hispaniola, who because by the way Cortez was getting with both of his uh, like sisters in law or something like that, and the guy tried to recall him. It was this guy uh, Velasquez, and Cortez disregarded him completely. Recruited three hundred men and a couple of ships in a matter of one month and set off for Mexico. He lands in Mexico. He finds out that it's a brutally hostile land governed by a giant empire that's militarily complex and sacrifices thousands of people every year. Already insane. This is something completely incomprehensible to the, the European mind, for example. This is something that hasn't been around since, as far as they were concerned, since like Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, he lands there. He says, all right, we're going to burn the ships, dismantle them and burn the remains because we're not turning back unless we conquer this place. Wow. Already, that is a, that's a movie right there. I'm Absolutely. baffled that there isn't one yet. But he then proceeds to march through this entirely hostile territory full of people that very literally sacrifice and eat each other, win every major military engagement and minor military engagement, reach the capital city, which, by the way, is an artificially constructed floated island with 300,000 people on it, and then take captive the king. Um, at that time, that was Moctezuma, and then conquer the empire. By the way, between taking captive, uh, taking the king captive, and fully securing the conquest of Tenochtitlan and the siege, he proceeded to go meet another group that was sent there to capture him, defeat them in battle, and then convince them to join him. And this is all with you. This is all with an original three hundred people. Yeah, it's incredible. It's it's such a small number of men. Actually, I apologize. Cortez might have had six hundred. 
Yeah, I mean, they always it, worked in, in. Either way, it's a very, very small number. Uh, yeah, when you're comparing it to a civilization of hundreds of thousands, yes. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. I, I think they were over a million involved, uh, like fighting aged males in the Aztec Empire at the time. The thing with Cortez too is they always the slander for him is um, that oh he didn't do anything. It was all the the native allies. And it's like no, he had to individually defeat all of these native tribes and then get them to join him. Which they were not unhappy to do. They didn't really like the Aztecs. But still, he commanded them. So the siege of Tenochtitlan had 100,000 men on his side. Can you imagine? See, now I'm thinking about this guy. Thinking about this guy taking a couple of hundred guys from home. He's on the. He's pretty much on the run. He wants to avoid some legal trouble back home. Gets himself a couple of ships. Goes out there and uh, before some time is at the head of a 100,000 person fighting force. It's just what the hell kind of a story is that? That it's an that just that's incredible. And not and on top of that, the reason why we have wild horses that's because of Cortez as well. Is that what I I heard before? That he's I the think one. It's uh, a it's sort of a distributed thing where Europeans brought over horses uh, in different places. But yeah, no, I, he's one of the reasons. That's what I heard. You know, Hemingway had his cats, but I heard that uh, that that the, that Cortez was really the reason why we have so still to this day wild roaming herds of horse uh, all around the the Americas. All right, so that's 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 Cortez. Um, yeah, and he's just one one figure. I mean, he's a major figure. He conquered Mexico, but all of the men under him have these insane stories like that. And then all of the men with Pizarro in Peru, all of the men with uh, DeSoto in Florida, all of these guys. By the way, DeSoto was in Peru first before he went to Florida. He was like Pizarro's top guy. So he was negotiating with the uh, the Inca at Ahualpa, and then he decided to go to Florida and become the first like ex-explorer of continental America. Wow. It, the, these guys are just incredible. I mean, yeah. in terms of historical value, first of all, they're, they all changed the world order drastically yeah, which we still feel today and then besides that it's these utterly incredible stories that we just let bolsheviks slander and pretend aren't cool well yeah that, that's what i'm saying that there's such a, a certain kind of suicidal activism that is built into these modern day movements the activism is suicidal i mean even when they even when people stand there and they do the easy thing of all of these hundreds and hundreds of years later smashing statues burning books d demanding that certain people be condemned that have been dead since you know uh, and t who the hell knows how many years ago now columbus has been gone but it's all of it's so suicidal that not only are you assisting well-funded, much smarter people at the top who are pointing and clicking and having you respond to it. Like just, you know, uh, it's almost like having a laser pointer with your cats. All these activists on the ground who are just sweeping through city streets and they're sweeping through college campuses and they're causing all this havoc and they're demanding all this ridiculous change, they are just the steamrollers for a movement that they stand to benefit nothing. They don't, they're not going to be made into generals or commanders or being given some kind of big administrative roles. They are nothing. They are a temporary steamroller who otherwise is useless and possesses no skills. And it's also just, if you think about how 
when I say suicidal, not only is it laying the groundwork for a societal collapse, and that is a suicidal in itself, but they're also people are begging when you when you when you push back against this history and just wholeheartedly say it's all bad and it should have never happened. What you're essentially saying at this point is I should have never been born. It's it's really it's 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 really weak. It really is. Yeah, and that that entire that was very well said with Zinn in particular. That was his explicit goal was just to undermine the legitimacy of America. I mean, the guy was an open communist. He was in the Communist Party. And so when I say communist, I mean, he literally had a card. Um, This was somebody who did not have your interests at heart. And as a result, his main, you know, his best known work was to go through American history and just take apart every single item in it and say this was actually bad. Uh, And then obviously down the line, this sort of becomes, um, you know, you get spinoff movements like Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, because Columbus has blood on his hands and the indigenous peoples certainly don't. They were all very nice to each other all of the time. They definitely weren't butchering each other and torturing each other to death or, you know, engaging in slave raids on other tribes and then on white settlers. You know, it, it becomes completely incoherent historically. And I don't I don't hope to change their minds like the activists. I, I don't hope to change their minds because what is wrong with them is fundamentally biological most of the time it's just this resentment of anything higher it's this resentment of your own life and the world that surrounds you but i can hope to help people that are outside of that state uh realize to not buy the bait from them it's a wonderful place uh to be i think especially at this time if there's ever anything that we would um any position that we could be in during a time of such intellectual i don't know giving i wouldn't say even say upheaval this isn't upheaval this is giving up and i think that when people like you are put in the positions that you're in to be an independent purveyor of information and to repackage old stories for newer audiences that sounds very uh uh mcu but uh but but it's not it's not a reimagining it's representing something that has been lost and told that it should not be looked into. I think that this is great. People are hungry for something other than the negativity and other than the uh, the, the, the constant self-flagellation of the, this kind of debt that, that all the unborn babies of the United States must pay still for the sins of people from hundreds and hundreds of years ago who did nothing but build society, build the civilization that we, that at, at a time we were benefiting um, handsomely from, and now it's all being picked apart, and now I feel like we are just a, a corpse that are having the bones picked. Um, but still, uh, give us a little bit more, uh, if you have anything else that you want to leave people with, any big points, stories, really to drive home the um the history of the day and and how it's relevant to us please go right ahead and if not talk a little bit about the dissident review and what you're doing and how people can follow you yeah well first of all thank you but um as for relevancy today i think spain right at the beginning of the age of exploration is one of the most relevant time periods to whatever's going on right now in history uh you have the Reconquista was ending at this point. 1492, Granada was officially retaken from the Moors. Uh, so the entire like Iberian Peninsula was now once again Catholic European, roughly. Um, but 
all of these families and men that had made their fortune over generations and generations as hidalgos as knights they were fighters for the reconquista on the muslim frontier they were at their core frontiersmen very similar to american frontiersmen they were suddenly left without a frontier there was nowhere that you could send your you know young son or grandson to go define himself and get rich and find glory and all of these things there was no proving ground anymore there was no real frontier but right as this ended in 1492 columbus discovered the new world and a new frontier opened up and all of the men that ended up over there were of this class of either disaffected hidalgos or other men that would have fought in the reconquista if that was available to them that wanted greatness they wanted to test themselves in a pure meritocracy they wanted to seek individual wealth they wanted to seek civilizational glory that opened up right there right as one ended the other one opened up so my my question is you know right now we have a a mass of young people particularly young men that feel stifled by the lack of a frontier Uh, i'd say i'm one of them to an extent and the question is what's the next thing it's never it's never over is my point right you know you never run out of something to go push into and you can see that it's uh it's a powerful thing to have and having that frontier open up essentially made modern spain you're right you're absolutely right and as as you were going through that i started asking the same question that you eventually got around to what is the next thing is it a physical frontier or is what has been done to us over the last however many, maybe three or four generations, has been mostly psychological. Is the next frontier the mind? Is the next frontier the next frontier a, a spiritual rebirth and, of course, a replanting of the flag uh, of our, uh, you know, respective flags wherever we already are standing geographically? Because there's there's no new continents to be discovered, not that I know of, but at the same time, where what do we have to rediscover at this point you know perhaps there was a time when uh the east knew that the west was there and then there was a some sort of a a a reset and a disconnect and forgetting that we existed um perhaps there's going to be a little bit more of a symbolic crossing of the atlantic again to find something else that might have been lost i think right now the biggest thing that we're out of touch with is our dignity and our uh and our faith so perhaps it's something a little bit more, I don't know, esoteric, uh, a question to, to ask, unless you think that there, there may actually be a, a, a physical move that needs to be made. Yeah, well, that's the, uh, that's the question, isn't it? Who's our Columbus going to be? I know. Um, <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why we can't slander Columbus or other conquistadors, because there's a large subset of, of people that, want nothing more than to follow a Columbus into uncharted savage territory, whatever that means. Um, maybe it's financial, maybe it's some kind of open up in business and, you know, people get to do weird wild west crypto stuff. Um, maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's a mercenary warfare in the less or the more obscure regions of the world. Who knows? Um, you know, you know, what would make it a lot easier is if it was easier to get past government regulation. I I know that there's a lot of people just right here in this country who would love to dip into areas, forest regions, whatever the hell else that has been pretty much made into no-go zones. 
uh, by governments. I mean, I know that there are plenty of people who would love to just go out there and take the treacherous, uh, uh, you know, the trek over to Antarctica and ask some questions, see if there is something beyond just a uh, an endless icy wasteland and, and get a little bit more out of this um, this part of the world that has been closely guarded by an international law. You know, there's there's so much restriction on wherever there is left to go and, and poke our heads. I mean, I, may, I mean, obviously, there's plenty of places that you can go and just be free to look anywhere. But um, it, it's nuts. I, I, I even saw that in, in many national parks now, they are not allowing, they're limiting free speech on national parks. I saw Truthstream Media and other people uh, uh, cover this story where you go into a national park and if you wanted to film inside of a national park, you need to have a special license if you are a YouTuber. Mm. You know, like... That's th- annoying. Exactly. I mean, we're talking... And, and here we are talking about men who took months-long journeys across the ocean in sailboats to be able to see what's on the other side of it. And, uh, you know, now now it's becoming a little bit harder then, for us to bring... it to the sword. Right. <laughs> exactly. Now we got to... We, it's harder to bring uh, a camera into a patch of woods if the government owns the woods it's, it's nuts yeah while that's true I, I will say how do i phrase this what the the conquistadors and those with them would have thought of things like this is that um you need to get to a point where there are rules but are there really um for example cortez being recalled by velazquez right as he's about to leave he could just rally the men and go you know pizarro he was uh in spain when he was uh petitioning for actually first he was down in peru and he'd gone twice and it hadn't worked out and they were going to go back and just declare it over uh so instead he stayed on an island with a, uh, a couple of guys 13 actually the famous 13 they're called and said you know send a rescue ship uh we'll take that and we'll keep exploring so that expedition, by the way, his first exploration of Peru was completely illegal. And then he went to Spain and he was supposed to rally a certain number of men. And he didn't. And he sailed by night and left illegally. So you you get a lot of things like that where uh, there's such a, a spirit that it can't be restrained by uh, petty regulations. Now, I, I won't advocate that because breaking the law is bad and I am a strict legalist. But... <laughs> Um, I will say that was the that's the animating spirit of the time. And maybe if that animating spirit is around today, the restrictions will matter less. Point taken. Let's 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 start the reanimation. That's what I say. Uh, Alaric the Barbarian, I love your work. I, I can't wait to have you back again. Uh, we will figure this out off air what the next topic is going to be. But these history nights are really really something else is there anything you want to leave people with especially how they can find you um you're very active on twitter you got a wonderful account there you've got the dissident review that is linked inside of the description of this episode but if i'm missing anything please let people know what it is um that's that's about it i will say for the full piece i wrote on the conquistadors it's in the dissident review volume two and then it's also available online at uh, arctos.com so you can just look up exploration, and it's a five-part article. Well, well, thank you for again for the time tonight, man, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Have a good night. There you go, Alaric the Barbarian, ladies and gents. That is one hell of a guy to watch and follow on the internet. Go and make your lists. He's on my, he's on my history and culture list on Twitter.
been building that up so I can just jump right into my lists, watch things, watch things, keep track of accounts that are tightly categorized so I don't have to watch the fucking Krasensteins with their kazoo voices. Can't take it. Can't take it anymore. I can't take it. There's so much there's so much I can't take. What what kind of a world would we would it be if the Krasensteins were the ones that had to go find the new world? Wouldn't happen. Wouldn't happen. What would what world would it be if the Krasensteins had to stop the Moors from invading? That's uh not going to happen. Nope. No, no. Well, maybe we could be friends with the Moors. Well, if you think about it, who would do something like this? Come on, Moors. Come on. Can't we be friends? Freaks. You stupid high-pitched freaks. I'm sorry. I just ruined the entire... Alaric, I'm sorry. I put a stain on our entire episode tonight. I went into a Krasenstein freak out. Anyway... Let's go and take a quick break. When we come back, we've got a few minutes. I want to go into your Super Chats. That's quite frankly, superchat.com. All of you rumble, rumblets, rumble, rumble, rumblers out there, send in some rumble rants. There is the gold pills on Foxhole. That is on quitefrankly.tv. I will be back in a flash. Don't go anywhere. It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. Quite frankly. 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 Quite Quite frankly. 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 Quite Quite frankly, how dare you? All right, it's time to take some calls. 
Time to take some calls. Uh, yeah, I, I know some people are probably like, what happened to Dick Van Dyke? Well, I'll tell you what happened to Dick Van Dyke during the, um, during the October 2023 intermission. It got flagged. So since October has kicked up, every episode has been blocked on YouTube because of those uh, the, the dancing number that's in the background, even though the speed was worked with and all that stuff. So I couldn't keep uh, snipping out intermissions. So I said, uh, Cody, I think we're going to have to get a new dance. And he said, oh, shucks. I said, I know. I got a couple of emails, a couple of complimentary emails that came in about Dick Van Dyke. And um, so we have to change it up. You had two intermissions in October so far. We'll see how far this one lasts. All right, over on quitefranklysuperchat.com, Stostoop says, great Columbus Day, Frank, and Frankly's great guest tonight. I agree. I absolutely agree. Oh, boy. Valuna just overwhelmed me with a tip and said, for the studio at home, I watched the Sunday stream earlier, and it made my day. Great show as usual. I keep spreading the word, even to complete strangers. They all promise to watch. I'm sure they will. Well, the Sunday stream, for those of you who are um, monthly sponsors, the Sunday stream, this Sunday stream, Aurora was in rare form. She scared me. Uh, and she scared everybody at home, too. She just appeared over my shoulder and went, and, and boo! Jumped out everybody. And then, uh, and then she came in and she wanted to polish, she wanted to polish my head. So she, she took her little mopine. And she, she, she did my hat. Then I took my hat off. She said, can you polish my head? And she... Anyway, that is the unlisted Sunday stream. Saturday night. What did you guys think about the Saturday night stream? Now, I got a lot of production notes for myself. I'm working with that neon in the background to try to, you know, cut down on the flickering. I already, as I said, I already got away from the alternating currents in the wall. And I put it into a direct current. I put it into a battery. And thinking that that was going to cut down on things, and it did to a degree. But I have a little bit more light balancing to take care of, and um, I, I really wish that I that was my forte. So I'm just really little by little turning some knobs and trying to adjust this so that I got that nice glow. I can incorporate the neon behind me. But Saturday night was really really cozy, and I'm happy that we are almost 100. And now I'm 100. percent You know why? On Sunday. On Sunday, what I was showing everybody on the, the stream was I got myself a 15-inch monitor. It's an external monitor for either, you know, PlayStations, gaming consoles, laptops, things like that. A 15-inch monitor that I'm able to set up right over here on the left side. It came in on Sunday. Mini HDMI to HDMI into my last remaining port on the on the uh, the tower that I have, and now whenever somebody calls in as a guest on Zoom, I can put them, I can relegate them to the little 15 inch over here, so I don't have to sacrifice any more of the two screens in front of me because over here I have three screens. So I have almost completely cloned what I have going on right here, but for a miniature on a miniature scale at my home office closet. Okay, in here it's a very airy room, tall ceilings, I have room for at least five or six people to sit around, and uh, microphone options, monitoring options, all that stuff. This is, a, this is Studio A, but Studio 69 is home. 
and I think it's gonna do the trick just nice and we'll uh, we'll go and mess around with that a little bit later on too thank you so much Valuna thank you so much Shotzi says sending love for the show and all the fabulous Franklies and Jay Brits over the weekend said Frank this is a a 15 inch remote monitor fund warmest regards to Lauren and the nugget you didn't have to do that Jay thank you so much that wasn't uh, it's very nice of you it wasn't a lot of money it wasn't a lot of money but people are are very um, very kind because we're only getting better with this this is only about making the show better and more value added for people what we're able we're going to be able to do tonight is a part of that you know i don't want to stay here all alone in the building and do a late night stream when i have things that i want to get done and no time during the regular week to get it done any other any other way so tonight i have the option the flexibility of going live whenever and not bothering anybody either that's the best part all righty let's see here let me go into rumble and we have a rumble rant and that is from Salion. Or S.A. Lion. You got the best show, Frank. Thank you. Oh, I love hearing that. Love hearing that. A Christopher Columbus show. History. That's the kind of thing I wanted to be doing. Jen Mool says, I just have to say, quite frankly, has been added to my vocabulary these days. Quite frankly, this is another great show as usual. I appreciate you, Jen. And I, I know. I know quite frankly, has been a wonderful marketing choice for me, and I didn't even think about it. You know how you go and you buy yourself a car, and you're driving, or you you're, you know you lease yourself a car or whatever, you're driving in your new car, and suddenly you realize how many of the same car are actually on the road with you? It was the same thing with quite frankly. I didn't realize how many people say it, how often people say it, and then it just becomes one of those things that you kind of just smirk at. A little bit of a smirk. Everybody's helping me out. Okay, over on Foxhole, and I'm going to open up the lines here. 914-200-0269. Want to hear from you? What do you think? Any Columbus Day remembrances? Whatever the hell else. As far as what's going on overseas, if it is a war concern you have, save it for later on. Because we're not going to have enough time to explore it right now. Let's see here. Robert Sarns, thank you so much. Sean Joe. Falkalon says, hey, Frank, any chance you can wish my daughter a happy birthday? My daughter, Josie, turns 18 today. Oh, God bless. Josie, you're 18. You have no clue what that means to your father. You have no clue. Okay? You have no clue. It is a surreal thing. And, uh... It's a very surreal thing for him. And I'm sure you make him very proud. And happy birthday. And be good. Be good and listen to dad. Still, to this day, listen to dad. Please. Because if you don't, then I'm losing hope that, that, that Aurora will. Okay. Uh, Okanagan. 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 Okanagan, Okanagan downhill. Says my first cookie, happy Thanksgiving from Kami Canada. Well, thank you over there. Happy Thanksgiving to you. NJSF, thank you. Swickly says, I believe that Columbus's journey was ordained by God, and now here we are. Indeed. That's why I said it is a suicidal, it is an act of 
it's just suicide. You're declaring your, your wish to be dead. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. We shouldn't be here. What? <laughs> oh my God. Um, but that's what they, they're essentially saying every year. It's just knee jerk at this point. You know what the real thing is? It, it's not even about Columbus. It's not even about Columbus. It's knee jerk reaction to people around you that you have been trained to, um, to feel disdain for and disgust for. And when you have been trained to see people around you as enemies and, uh, and not as potential friends and family and, and, and brothers and sisters that you can embrace and, and have something in common with all of them, many more things in common than you have different, then it becomes almost a, a mission in life to make sure that the people around you that uh, have all the identifying marks of those in the opposing tribe that they should be rooked of everything that they enjoy doing. So it doesn't matter if it's Columbus today or something else tomorrow, whenever it changes, the incentive for a lot of people in these circles is to deliver a message that takes away joy from others because they are essentially joyless. They are joyless. They have, they have moments of levity. They have moments of, they, have, they get dopamine rushes. They have good laughs. They have, you know, they're able to inebriate themselves a little bit, but is it really joy? Is it really a, a surge of joy or is it temporary, temporary hits of pleasure and, and where is that pleasure coming from? Because as you can see, it's all very confrontational. So I don't even think it's about going out there and learning something about Christopher Columbus. You think that the average person who defaults to Christopher Columbus as a rapist and a slaver can actually talk about Christopher Columbus in any way, shape, or form like Alaric the Barbarian can? You think that they have any kind of knowledge? No. It is a default position because what they are doing is they're acting from a standpoint, pre-programmed standpoint of joylessness and to go out there and be confrontational on behalf of somebody else who stands to benefit far more than they. So that's really, you're, you're talking about broken individuals. Those are the only people who would beg to not exist. Uh, NJSF says the treaty of, of Tordesillas was contentious in Portugal. Uh, Portugal insisted on the line which included Brazil. C. Blanche, thank you so much. Pauly9363 says Christopher Columbus spread the globe psyop for the, uh, the, the Inquisitors. So there you go. There's another, there's another side there. C. Blanche's great show. Awesome guest. Thank you, C. Blanche. And JSF says, uh, one of the underrated navigators of the Age of Discoveries is uh, Bartolomeu Diaz. Oh, I remember that guy. I don't remember anything he did, but I remember the name. You know, we got all this. We really did. It may not have been a long chapter, but we got all this stuff in social studies and in, in grammar school. It was still there in the 90s. It was still there. And like I said before, it was presented in anywhere from neutral to positive. And last year, I remember I showed you a little bit of home video from 1993, a Columbus Day parade in, in my town in 1993. How amazing that was. I got to bring that out again soon. I should have had that ready for tonight, but we didn't have enough time. 
If it was a normal two-hour show, I would have had that up again, but we have to get off in a little bit. Uh, American Beauty says, listening always, Frank. Always wanted to spill a bunch of pills on someone. Today's the day. Love you. And American Beauty dropped a fleet. Okay. In, um, in foxhole speak, a fleet is big. Zoso Dude says, most fascinating guest ever, but I'm a real history lover, so there you go. Great, great show, brother. And C. Blanche rounds it all out, says, Amen. Godspeed. 914-200-0269. So much to go to, so much to say. And, um, and what else? Jay Semo says, I ordered Debunking Howard Zinn. Great show, excellent. I have to do that myself. I'm glad he brought that up, debunking Howard Zinn, because I have read a lot of Zinn, but I have not gone cover to cover. It's one of those things where I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to spend so much time inside of that hellhole. But I would love to read the debunking Howard Zinn. That'd be nice to have Howard Zinn um, actually held up against actual information, because you know where this all goes to, right? This all leads you to things like the 1619 Project. And the fact that that is not only allowed to get airtime on television, but it is published widely. It is given some, you know, really, really good backing. This is all part of the same thing. All part of the same plan that Zinn is part of. 517, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, um, I was just catching up on your program from over the weekend or last week. And uh, it was about, you had uh, Tim Gordon as a guest on your show. He was on Saturday night. Hang out with me a little bit. Saturday night. Okay, yeah. So I had to pause the program and, like, try and call. I was like, oh, shit, is it? Nope, he's on right now. But I got a testimony. I got to the part where you guys were talking about the the uh, surprise by the Holy Spirit, you know? And do you remember that, com- that part in the conversation? Yes, yes. Are, are you, am I on speakerphone right now? No, I've got a Bluetooth headset, so my wife's uh, Bible study is not interrupted. Oh, okay. All right. I can step out on the front porch. No, no, you know, okay, we'll just keep going because we don't have that much time. But, yeah, I remember I remember what you're saying about the – it was, the, um, it was the, 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 the statement that Pope Francis had made about how, you know, all, all this very vague, weird, open-ended uh, the talk about how the, uh, the Holy Spirit may have some surprises for us in this next synod over here. Yes. Right, and it, and you made a comment of like how how does the Holy Spirit go about surprising you know one? Could you imagine being surprised by the Holy Spirit? Like how does that go? You know, you made a comment like that, and I feel like I have seen the Holy Spirit because like the Holy Spirit is supposed to be Jesus Christ after the crucifixion and and risen again, right? I mean, that's correct, right? Well, I well, I I wouldn't be able to tell you what I what I uh, what I grew up believing well, in, in the Trinity okay, is that there you know there's the Trinity for me so there's it's it's one and the same but what we were talking about surprises was not about was not denying that the Holy Spirit would have oh the, no I wasn't taking it like that at all yeah no I totally okay. didn't interpret it like that well so I I was driving in some like really dense fog like Stephen King couldn't write fog this thick and it was jigsaw puzzles so there'd be like a quarter mile of wide open clarity and you could see this menacing wall of fog in front of you uh-huh. vehicles just disappearing into it 
immediately past the headlights and taillights, just gone. There could be a pile up inside. Okay. And and I was on my I was on my way driving north to uh, Central to be with my fiance for the weekend, and my my dad was like, "You you should stay, wait till morning." I'm like, "No, I'm I'm going. You know, I'm grown. I'm go visit her." One night is like not worth sacrificing for safe drive. I'll just drive slow and steady. Okay, sir. You, I'm so sorry, I'm, but you, I'm we, we got we got to get to the, the conclusion. We got to get to the conclusion. Okay, though. well, okay. So I'm like praying to God, you know, in my head as I'm driving alone. You know, get me there safely for like 20 minutes, half hour, hours. It took me 40. It took me like four hours and 45 minutes to get from my place to where it shouldn't have normally took in like an hour, hour and a half. Okay. And driving out of this like really dense, thick fog, I kind of asked God for like a sign that everything is going to be all right for me as long as I can just, you know, get there. I'll just get there. If it's late, it's late. And I come out of the fog and it's like two in the morning and I'm on 127 heading north and there's no, there's no way that anyone else is out here. I haven't seen anyone for hours. And the fog lifted? Here's this, mini, here's this mini, yep, there's a clear spot where you can see for like a half mile. And I'm only cruising like 25, 30, because I'm thinking pile-ups in the fog. And here's this minivan driving with the most effervescent, like, beaming dome light coming out of the windows of this van. And I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, what is going on here? This guy is driving in, like, deadly fog with the brightest dome light I've ever seen in my life. Okay. Well, and I'm going, so so it, was that was that your... I'm rubbernecking up to it. You know, I'm in the passing lane. I'm like, they're going slower than me. And he led you? And, and, he, and, and he led you? He led you to the opening? No. I passed the van thinking, what the heck could they be? It was so important to have the dome light on that's so bright in this deadly fog. And as I get to where I can see the left hand of the driver, it was the Holy there Spirit. Only, there was only there was only one person in there, and it was the Holy Spirit <laughs> in the crucified form, reading a Bible, open Bible on the steering wheel, hands on the Bible. I could see through the holes what? in his wrist, and his eyes were perfectly aligned with the brightest white, hot, like. Imagine stepping out in a winter morning, bright sun, fresh falling snow, that blinding, you, a billion times brighter than that. Brighter than the dome light that I thought was the brightest light. So, Je- so Jesus was driving the minivan. Yes, and don't mock me because I'm not uh, testimony. Okay, I just I've heard a lot of people say, "Why would Jesus drive?" WWJD. Why would Jesus? Drive? <laughs> this, this actually took a great turn. Minivan, why wouldn't he be driving like a Lamborghini or a Corvette? <laughs> and to all the mockers that I've ever heard when I've given this testimony, I tell them the same thing every time. I'm like, Jesus is about saving souls. A Lamborghini and a Corvette can only hold one passenger. You're right. A minivan can hold more. You're right. And I was overwhelmed. I am, absolutely. God bless me. And I was, like, overwhelmed with this sensation. So I, like, actually thought in my head, I could, I'm going 25 miles an hour. I could jump onto this van. I wanted to be in that van. You should. And his eye, I'm not kidding you. I, and my conscience, my other me was you like, wanted to jump hey, dude, turn the fuck around. You're in deadly fog. You're, what the hell are you doing? And I turn right around and I go into the fog and I'm like white knuckle, like, oh my God, that was a sign that God just gave me that I'm going to make it safe however long it took me. Well, that was... 
That's the next clearing. Okay. Come to a complete stop All right. on the highway. Well, well, I get out of the van and I'm waiting for this vehicle and it never came out. And there were there were no turnoffs. He deserved. He just deserved. Well, then, then he did. So then he was pretty showed. much. Jesus was pretty much like your Rudolph the Red nosed Reindeer. He brought you through the fog at the at the the, the Dude, last. I moment. got goosebumps sharing that testimony with you. Well, you know, I got goosebumps when I mean, you. I've been a long time listener. When you I just, I called you on my cell phone. Usually, I never get through. But well, I, I, well, here's the one thing I will say: I would never doubt. I would never doubt that Jesus wouldn't uh, would be able to uh, drive a minivan if he had to. Number one. So I'm not doubting that that's possible. If Jesus was there, he could definitely figure out how to drive a car. He's done far greater oh, things than that. But I, I think that what you really got me, uh, and thank you so much for the call. I'm sorry, but I have to stop because well, now I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to continue back to your Saturday night program, finish watching that. Okay. You, you go ahead and store me however you want. If I call again, it'll be from this number. So. Okay. All right. Well, I'll be on the lookout All for right. it. Thank you so much for that. There, there you go. How uh, you know? It's like when he was when he started calculating just whether or not he could have jumped onto the other van. That's when I almost lost it. That's when I always lost it. Because can you imagine that? He's in the middle of the fog. He already thinks that his life is in danger because he can't see where he's driving, and then uh, to, to feel that. It, it might be prudent to jump out of the van onto a neighboring car just because you think Jesus is in there. Or you see seeing Jesus. If I saw that, I would think that this was the end. This is the end. I'm dead. I already died. I fell off. A, I, I drove off a cliff, and this is. I'm already dead. So that would have been, wow. All right. Well, that's, that's one a journey. That is a journey. We are talking about great exploration. And expeditions tonight? Well, that was a journey. I'm glad I stuck it out. For the first four minutes, I'm sure you weren't glad. But it got somewhere interesting, didn't it? And that's why we let it roll sometimes. Sometimes. All right. It's 828. That is the only call of the evening. Very apropos. I'm going to go start my book club. I'll be done around 930. And then, uh, and then we will see what happens uh, we'll see what happens for the rest of the night. Now, on Quite Frankly on TV, After Hours programming is starting right now. That programming will be interrupted by me when I go live later on at Studio 69, Studio B. Okay, we'll do that later on. Uh, I can't tell you when it's going to be. Just keep your notifications on, and I'll try to get some kind of word out to everyone, but who knows? All right. Um, oh, I, I got something from Lauren. Uh, Lauren's, she she really liked the call. She said, "OMG, not to laugh because I believe he believes it." Oh yes, no, I know that. That's real. That's real. And uh, I hope, hope we get a, a follow up to that. Thank you all so much. We will be right back on the other side of this for book club, and then I'll talk to you guys later. Good night, and thank you some. Oh wait, hold on. Make sure I didn't miss anything over here. Anything on Rumble? Wait, there might be something on Rumble. Uh, Crestmont Bear says, Good evening, Frank. Friday night with you and Matt. Always a fun show. And I look forward to them very much. But adding Jay to the mix is electric. Great show. Me, Matt, and Jay, I have a great time there. Because we can still do whatever. We can still do off-topic things. But uh, And Jay can dissertate on anything that's going on in the world. We can talk big picture. but And Matt really enjoys him coming by, too. 
Uh, Crestmont Bear against P.S. The key to driving with drowsiness is eating sunflower seeds. The act of chewing the shell to get to the seed keeps your brain awake. I bet $100 super chat on it that it works for you. Well, I, I almost drove home in conditions like that from Vermont a couple of weeks ago. So, anyway, it's 8.30. I got to go. Thank you, everybody. See you soon. I'll catch you on the flip side. Frankly, film before a live studio audience, and now our super chatters. First and foremost, I am releasing the scratching. So thank you all of you on Foxhole on QuiteFrankly.tv. I'll see you soon. Thank you to Crestmont Bear and to Jay Semo and to Salion, not to be outdone by Jen Mool. You guys have been fantastic to me. Thank you, Stostube, Valuna, for the big, big tip tonight. I really appreciate you, Valuna. Been around for a long time. And Shotzi as well and Jay Britz. You all are fantastic. Well, Jay Dyer has just entered the waiting room. I'm going to get on to that. I'll see you guys later on tonight. Good night. <laughs>